0: This is Transistor.fm.
1: Welcome back to the Product People Show. All you folks who are still subscribed to this feed, thank you. These are the true fans, the people that keep subscribed no matter how many shows are coming through. And today I have a surprise for you. A great conversation with Tom and Dan from Studio Neat. If you have ever wanted to make your own physical products, or you've thought about, you know, it'd be cool if I could have like a boutique and make numerous different products for different audiences, this interview is all about that. Before we get to that, today is February 9th, 2016, and tomorrow, February 10th, I'm launching Marketing for Product People. Now, those of you that have been around for a while know that I released a book in October called Marketing for Developers. It did really well. But a lot of people uh, saw that and said, you know, I would really like that same information. So they asked me to rewrite it for non-engineers, and that is what I did. You can get yourself a copy at justinjackson.ca slash marketing for product people. There's also a free chapter there with a really good tip on getting more leads through Twitter using Twitter cards. So go check that out, justinjackson.ca slash marketing for product people. All right, let's get into the show <laughs> you, can't keep, you can't keep all the friendly stuff for before you hit record
2: yeah no it's true that's a that's something I think we're learning is on our podcast uh, to just start record like start the show right away and leave some of the banter in. Uh, some yeah. people
1: love the banter, and some people hate it. Yeah, I think it.
2: It can. That's yeah. what
0: uh, Nerdist does, where they just, like, don't even tell the guest they're recording.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It and, seems to work well.
1: And then they, they finish the whole interview, and they wonder why <laughs> the other guy hung up on them. <laughs> wait, wait,
2: wait.
1: All right, guys. Well, let's, let's get into it. You guys want to jump right in? Sure. sure. Do, we, do we need a – how's your neighbor? How's, uh, how's the kid?
2: good he's good he's uh walking around now so you know that's a whole new world kind of he's like 11 like 11 and a half months so he's you know oh yeah
1: and and you so. still you're still working from home
2: yeah 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 yeah. Oh,
1: as soon as they start walking that's when you got to get out of there man
2: <laughs> well he you know i have a closed door and
1: you have a closed door know. policy
2: yeah, so it's not a closer policy. Soon I will like install one of those red lights, like a recording studio light, or it's like you cannot enter when this <laughs> red light's on.
1: That's that's always good for kids when they're explaining to their par- their friends at school what what goes on. When dad's got the red light on, I'm not allowed to go in this room. <laughs> yeah,
2: not weird or creepy at all.
1: <laughs> and how about you, Dan? How's things going over there? How much, good. how much hockey are you playing these days?
0: <laughs> yeah, same as before, which is zero. <laughs> I, I was in, I, I was in Minnesota for Christmas, uh, and I was near a lake, but it wasn't uh, frozen sufficiently oh. enough to uh, wander on it. Yeah. I,
1: I know I'm the only person that likes that joke, but I just I just can't get over it. I could I like it.
0: it. <laughs> You're the first person who ever thought that or said that about me or my name. So, but, but
1: has there been has there been anyone else? I think I'm the only one, aren't I? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah,
0: the first and only.
2: <laughs> Wait, is Dan Provost a Canadian hockey player or just a hockey player? To
1: me, Provost just sounds like a hockey name, but I think there is a Provo oh. I think there was a Provost. Let's see, Provost NHL. Um yeah, Claude Joseph Antoine Provost.
0: <laughs> yeah, Provost has like French Canadian roots uh, somewhere along the line. Uh
1: here, I'm gonna show you, Tom. You never knew this, but I'm gonna show you Dan's great grandpa. This guy right here. here let's, let's see if I can zoom in on this guy. Oh, th- this is they. They could only afford the 220 pixel wide version, but Claude Plovost. good old, good old grandpa Claude. <laughs>
2: It kinda looks it kinda looks like Dan. That could be part of his mythology. Uh, we don't know.
1: I, I mean he's so. clearly not American with a last name like that, so Yeah.
2: All right. Definitely not.
1: This is how I'd like to start this interview. This I, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about the first time I met Dan when I made that joke. And I asked Dan, as you do, um, what do you do? And do you remember what you said, Dan? No, I doubt. I mean, we were drunk at the time, <laughs> but you said, uh, "Well, I make this is how, this is this was the pause you did." You said, "Well, I make things," <laughs> and and that was basically it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so, all right.
1: Maybe to like give people an idea of what you guys do, because you guys are two guys, they don't know how you guys are. You know, what do you guys work together? What What do you guys do?
0: Uh, We make things. (laughs) Case closed. Thanks for joining us
1: today, guys. Uh, And you guys started a company called Studio Neat. Yeah, yeah.
0: So so we started out uh, five years ago uh, with a Kickstarter project for a little tripod mount for the iPhone 4. Um, So that was the first... Thing that we made, uh, and that was just totally a side project. Like we were both working full time as basically software designers, um, and then had this idea for a product and put it on Kickstarter, and you know, kind of the rest is history. It, it blew up and kind of forced us to think about starting a company and, and doing it full time, which are two things we did, you know, shortly after the Kickstarter project, and then we've just been making stuff, both physical
2: and software ever
0: since.
1: And so you guys had never made anything like a physical product before.
2: Uh, not, uh, not at the mass scale. No, like both Dan and I, uh, because of like our schooling background and just general interest, we like made a lot of things, uh, used our hands and knew our way around that. But, um, yeah, no, definitely nothing like that was sold. And like we dealt with manufacturers and stuff like that. Not yeah, nothing like that.
1: Yeah. And so that was, was that the glyph? Was that the first one?
2: Yeah. yeah. The glyph. Yeah. Yeah. So the glyph and, uh, yeah, we, you know, we um, since then we've made all kinds of things. We've done several pieces. Of, we've done uh, like a capacitive stylus, some like cocktail accessories, um, other like iOS type accessories. Uh, we we'll probably will do some electronic stuff in the future. So a pretty wide berth. We uh, are a little bit strange in that we. I haven't picked a genre or like a product line really. We kind of go super horizontal. Like if you go to our website, there's like iPhone accessories next to like cocktail stuff, next to, you know, this and that. Yeah. And so book stuff. And so uh, not the smartest way to do things certainly, but it's just fun. Like basically we just, the way the, when we decide to make something, it's because it's like a need we have in our life. We're like, man, you know, I wish this existed or I wish this thing was like this. And so we, you know, if we, if we fig, fig think that other people, uh, you know, agree and that there's a market there and the pricing fits and all this stuff works, then we'll just make it. And so it kind of makes a strange brand, but it's really fun for us.
1: Yeah. Now let's talk about that actually while we're on the, while because you brought it up, because I've been writing <laughs> about that quite a bit. Um, do you think it's not the smartest way to do it, to have a variety like that instead of just focusing on one thing?
2: It's... It's it's safe in that like if you look at our revenue uh, there's no thing we sell that's bigger than like a third of our company so it's not like we have this one product and everything depends on the one product so in in some ways that diversification is really nice um, but I, where I feel where it's a downside is you know for instance the glyph we could have taken the glyph and made glyph co like glyph inc yeah. and had a company that's just about the glyph and all about camera accessories and just built out a line and what happens is your customers know that's what you're known for and they can come back for different stuff and you can like sell them the new versions and all this stuff and it's just like a really easy way to kind of compartmentalize stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: Um but we you know we don't do that. So like say we say we have a mailing list, you know, of like a bunch of people on it who were there because of the glyph and what we made before with like Apple related stuff. Now we have cocktail stuff and it's like Yeah. You guys want this too, you know? So, uh, so that's, what's kind of strange and have they, how
1: how much overlap is there? Like how many repeat customers do you have going from genre to genre?
0: It it totally kind of depends. Like uh, with the cocktail stuff, I think that had a pretty decent, you know, kind of Venn diagram, uh, overlap. I think that there are pretty similar kind of demographics of who are interested in, in those types of things. Generally speaking, Uh, But there's been other things we've tried where that's not been the case. You know, we tried to make this uh, pet toy thing last year, which didn't work out. And so I think that was an example of the downside of what Tom was saying, where it's like you're essentially starting from scratch, more or less, with a new audience that is not, you know, existing that you already have. And so there's definitely a downside to that if it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. So on on the pro side, you've said you felt like, these are things that you personally are passionate about, so it makes it easy to want to develop them. But the downside is there's not necessarily – you can't necessarily go back to those same customers each you know time after time and say, you know, here's something new.
2: Yeah, and it gets even more crazy, like even just press contacts or just knowing the space. Or like when we tried to release a pet toy on Kickstarter, like we didn't have press contacts like in the like pet world, right? And so it's starting, it's literally almost starting from scratch, right? So, uh, and the other big thing, which is uh, kind of a big deal, is just supply chain. So uh, when you're making a physical product, you know, uh, we have a really, if we were to make versions of the glyph, we have everything set up for that. So it's very easy actually to make a new version of a glyph. But for instance, we're working on two new products right now. One of them is a soft good. So it's the first time we've done anything with like real fabric or like a technical like fabric thing. Yeah. And so, a we don't know the the manufacturing language. We don't have any manufacturing partners. We don't have any of that stuff. And so, we're kind of building a supply chain from scratch every, with every new product sometimes. Yeah. And and that is that takes a lot of time and it's one of the hardest things to do. So, that's another big piece is just like those infrastructural issues are really easy when you're just kind of tweaking something but when you're doing a whole new thing it's, it's rough. Yeah.
0: But I get I guess if we do that enough times we'll eventually exhaust all <laughs> of the like manufacturing methods and then we'll just be set we can make anything.
1: <laughs> is that something you guys debate like between you guys is like man dan we got to we got to niche down we got to focus on one thing.
2: Uh
0: it's not, not really a debate. It's always, it's always kind of a conversation, though. It's like something we're always kind of questioning and thinking about. But in general, we've, we've been the same. We, we stayed the same as we've always been, which is just like letting product ideas that excite us kind of guide what we work on. But I think yeah. definitely recently we're trying to be a little bit smarter about, you know, serving our existing audience and things like that. But... um we've been pretty consistent and just like, you know, following the excitement of our ideas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel like the funny thing is that like the other kind of, I'm sure you're going to hate this, but the other people I think about all the time that seems similar to you is the guys that need want, is that what they're called? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, are those guys like your mortal enemies?
2: No, no. Uh, we, yeah, no, we actually, yeah, we, uh, We have kind of met them, and we're kind of doing a little thing with them. Uh, And so, yeah, no, they are very similar. One of the main differences, I think, between us and them in terms of the way they structure their brands is, you know, Need Want is like an umbrella corporation kind of, right, or a parent corporation. And then they'll have like Peel or something, which is a sub-brand, Yeah. and there's not you know, when they have a different kind of product line, they like have brands for them. Yeah. And we have decided to make it more flat and horizontal, where you come to Studio Neat, and we have all this different stuff. That's right. I think we're we're starting to run into a problem where we we're gonna have more and more stuff, and so we need to kind of silo and have segments. You know, like say with like for instance, email list is a really good example. Like, it'd be nice to have an email list that's just cocktail folks, so that. We can talk to them and make content about specific nerdy cocktail stuff, and I have to talk to the, the the glyph people about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so so we're gonna we're thinking about ways we can kind of dice that up, but we still want we think Studio Neat to be there. So the main way we kind of approach product branding in that way is we you know it's like. Uh, the glyph by Studio Need or the cosmonaut. And so the name of the product is pretty strongly branded and sometimes has a logo. Yeah. But it's like still by Studio Need always. Uh, so that's a main difference. But beyond that, yeah, it feels pretty kindred spirits, those guys.
1: Yeah, because they're doing a bunch of different things. You just need yeah. to segment your list. You got cat ladies, alcoholics,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and like photo nerds. Yeah, we're
1: good. <laughs> Nobody sees those segments. It's okay. You can name them whatever you want. Like. <laughs> Now, I want to talk about going pro, because you guys released that first thing, and it went nuts on Kickstarter. Um, yep. What the hell? Was there just, like, an apparition in front of my face?
0: I think that was, like, a piece of fuzz or something. <laughs> it's
1: a good thing that didn't catch on fire with these, like, lights I got going. Um, the, you guys went pro really quick with the glyph, um, and was that primarily because of the Gruber effect? Is that really what... What t- totally.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, basically, we he linked it kind of within the first 24 hours of us launching it. And it was just, you know, like a total hockey stick thing. Uh, and then, you know, Gizmodo and all these others, you know, found it as a result of the Gruber post. So yeah, I would see that was definitely the catalyst.
1: So what was that like? Because um, there's some people that like work for a long time. And actually, even those guys that need want are interesting because they started with, you know, little products and they kind of kept notching themselves up. And you guys were kind of on a, uh, what do we call it, speed train right away.
2: Yeah. No, we went zero to 60. It was insane. I mean, uh, well, I don't think we've ever had a good of a year revenue-wise as, like, our first full year. Uh, so it was really, like, really big, really fast. Um, but it's funny because Dan and I stayed with our full-time jobs uh, working four days a week oh, for, wow. like, six months. So we, we, we had like shipped the glyph, it was all done, and then we had another, the next idea was a cosmonaut. We launched it as a Kickstarter, and then I think as soon as we saw that that kind of took off, then we we're like, okay, we know we're gonna need the time to really devote to selling the glyph and developing the cosmonauts, so that's when we decided to both quit our jobs. So we were really conservative, because like we had a good business like immediately with the glyph, but we just didn't, the thing I remember is this was, tw- 2010, when we were the first big Kickstarter for a product ever, yeah. and so it wasn't like it felt like a fluke. Like it was like, is this? We weren't sure. Like, is this just like fake and like a fluke? But yeah. then when it happened again, we're like, okay, there's like this can happen, right? So um, it just convinced us that you know there's a future in it, and, and and we should keep going.
1: Yeah, and but do you do you think like the second one? Were there a lot of people that followed you to that second, to the Cosmonaut?
0: I think so. Yeah. And we didn't even, we got, we definitely got some good press for that, but like, I don't think Gruber linked to it the second time around. Um, And so that, that was another thing that was really encouraging is like, okay, we've actually built a little bit of an audience here to where we don't have to have Gruber link every one of our products for them to, you know, succeed. Yeah. Uh, So that was encouraging.
1: Yeah. And what made you like want to keep what was it about that cuz that must have also been insane to figure out I everyone I talked to you that's been in your boat to figure out fulfillment and to figure out all that stuff which I'm sure was a nightmare while you were working at the same time what was it about it that made you want to keep going
2: We got tricked <laughs> <laughs> That was a synchronized uh, sigh <laughs> Yeah Well um, you know we what have I, you know what warm- I say about
1: size is it a sigh, huh. is like a meditation for really busy people?
2: So yeah, no, we got tricked. Uh, the glyph was very easy um, and um, it had no hiccups. We, uh, It got manufactured and shipped out in three months, which is unheard of and crazy. And so next time around we're like, this stuff is easy. Like it just all came together. And you know, we've you know, subsequently learned that that is not the case, but yeah, we there was no big problems at all, so it was really easy to just be like, let's do that again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but also and the, you know, the reason that we've like continued doing it and doing products is uh that n- nothing really beats the rush of like putting a new product out there whether it's Kickstarter or just like our own thing or releasing an app or whatever. Uh I think it's just like a very addictive feeling that we just keep uh, chasing over and over again.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, let's let's talk about that piece because in some ways in my own life, I'm moving into that too of, um, you know, last year I made a bunch of money consulting and it was basically just focused on one thing. And then on the side, I always had side projects. But now that I, I stopped consulting in November, that feeling of like, wow, I got to do this like- over and over and over again you guys must also feel on the other hand of like wow maybe we should just become glyph co and just like you know make a billion glyphs and you know just start shipping them out so what do you guys have stress around product launches do you also stress about like if we have no good ideas next year uh maybe take me through some of that
2: uh definitely we we definitely stress out about product launches. I mean, uh we don't release something until we feel good about it. So the fear, like say with Obi, like Obi was our first kind of big failure this just this last summer and I think where we we came away from it saying we designed the product we wanted to exist. We did a good job there, but it just didn't have the market or we didn't have a big enough megaphone to tell the right people or whatever. So uh, we always feel pretty good about the product and then, you know, if something is not what we quite think, it's just, it usually comes up to, like, market fit or something, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, we we stress out, I mean, we definitely stress out about it, and there's definitely the, you know, like, we don't know what we're gonna be doing in six months, basically, mm-hmm. we have a little bit of a roadmap. we have some products we're developing now that we're hopefully gonna get out soon, so it really is, like, we're reliant on these new ideas, and that's kind of how our business is structured, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff out th- I think the faith we have is that there's a, there's a ton of stuff out there, and there's a ton of people out there. And so if, if we, you know, can find the things that feel right, there's going to be other people there, too. And really, it's funny, because our, our strategy kind of previous to this year was, let's wait around until there's a really big idea that's good, unique, maybe doesn't exist, where we can make a really big dent. Mm-hmm. But this year we're going to try a little bit different approach and make smaller things and more of them and just see what happens there and kind of more rely on just kind of a, a, a routine of products. And, you know, of course, if there's a big thing that comes in, we're going to do it, but filling the gap with smaller things that might not have to be a huge hit, right? And so mm-hmm. we'll see... Um, We'll see how that goes it might turn up to be just like there's so much noise and there's so much crap going on that we don't get those really good big ideas but I think uh we we are just kind of tired of saying no to so many ideas uh not because they're good products but because like someone's already doing it or whatever so um we'll see that it's kind of an experiment for us but uh we'll see
1: hmm yeah the um as you were talking there's actually a couple things I want to kind of touch on here um the one thing I, I think about there's like two different kinds of movie makers there's like um now i gotta think of the, the folks like there's peter jackson who puts out like one big thing and you know they have to be really huge and then there's how come i can't think of his name the guy that makes a movie every 12 months in new york uh woody allen woody allen woody allen just oh, yeah. you know, woody allen just makes films as a career Every 12 months, he's going to come out with another one. And some are do better than others, but they're basic. And they're, they follow kind of the same thing. But he's, yeah. <laughs> it's like he's got this routine with making things. You know, he just knows he's going to go to work every day and make this year's film. So that it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, and anal- oh, now I can't say it. It's kind of similar parallels what you're talking about that you guys are thinking about trying to just go to work every day and make s- smaller things and release those.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It, it, I think it was really a one, I mean, for us, it was really, and we've said this a couple of times recently, it was really a one-two punch between something we spent seven months on, Obi, failing, mm-hmm. and then right after that, we released this little um, wooden stand for the new Apple TV remote. Yeah. Simplest product. It took us not even like two weeks of design. I mean, it was very simple, very small supply chain. We made it in-house, actually, so it was very little. But it did really well uh it got a ton of press. We've sold a lot of them um it you know it's and so that for us was like okay, like you know that that showed us that maybe there's something different that we can do, right yeah. um, in a real clear way
1: yeah, now, the other thing that kind of inspired me after I hung out with you guys for the first time was I started my career in physical manufacturing, building skateboards and snowboards. And that, chain, that supply chain, there was very few people doing it um, on, on a small scale. Like you couldn't be just a guy on the street and say, I want to start a snowboard company. Yeah. <laughs> and then I met you guys, and you're basically two guys in Texas that are building physical things. And this is – it kind of like opened my mind to that whole world that this is now possible for very, very small companies or even individuals to make – Physical things, Um, maybe talk to me a bit about that. Like what, especially you guys have done software too, but you're clearly passionate about physical stuff.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think it's just a kind of uh, colliding of all these different like services and opportunities that didn't exist, you know, five or ten years ago. So if you look at kind of the line, uh, the path of what it takes to make a physical product, like. You know the funding aspect. We have Kickstarter now, or things similar to that. And then um, the the manufacturing, so the prototyping is now new with you know 3D printers and affordable CNC things, and or even just like mailing away to get prototypes, you know, made for you. That's fairly new. And then the manufacturing processes have more or less been around for a while, but. There's new ways of, of finding them and 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 reaching out to them and, and communicating with them. Yeah. Uh, and then you know the uh, the selling of the product. You know we have Shopify and all these internet online things, and you can send it to Amazon. And then you know the fulfillment aspect. You, there's now services for that too. So I feel like all this stuff is like within the last ten years, maybe even five years didn't exist. Yeah. Um, and so it's like kind of just like the perfect timing of all these things coming together to where, yeah, it's like me, me and Tom are the only two employees and we've stayed that way from the beginning. It's because we can kind of outsource all these aspects of yeah. the, you know, Jane.
1: And that that's exciting, but it must also be like, especially now, it was probably really fun at the beginning, but now there's a lot of people getting into this like a lot of people kind of trying to do your thing. Do you know, do you notice more collisions now? Is it, is it like, uh, you talk to a manufacturer in China and they're like, Oh, I'm sick of tired talking to you Kickstarter guys. Or like, <laughs> have you noticed anything like that yet?
2: Uh, de- uh, definitely. Um, let me think of it. Yeah. I mean, some, the, the, the funny thing is it's mostly been good, uh, where it used to be when I called a cut, a, like cold called a manufacturer, they were just confused and they're like, wait, where are you getting this money? And I would say, like, Kickstarter, and they're like, what? You know? Yeah. And so, uh, in some ways, it's been easier because it's like they understand, you know, there's like more likely that they've like heard of, you know, something like that. Um, but on the other hand, there's just way more noise now, right? Where it used to be, it was like a news story that we were making a stylus and where it was like on Kickstarter, but now that's like not the case at all, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, There's definitely a give and take there, but definitely I, we're all for more people coming in and more services being developed because all of our pain points as a company, uh, most of them, we feel like they can be solved with a service. And so the, when more and more people come, there's going to be more of those services built up because we, we want to stay a two-person shop. We want to stay really small. Yeah. And the things that are going to make us hire employees is like customer service or shipping stuff or, or, weird things like that. And we just want that to be outsourced as much as we can. So yeah. we're all for this, this kind of field growing for sure.
1: That's an interesting point. Cause then if there's more people like you, then there's more things like, uh, what's the cards against humanity, uh, warehousing a black, black, black box. Yeah. Black box. Yeah. So now there's a market opportunity for them to say, we want, we will help serve you guys. And that takes a huge amount of work off your shoulders and less risk too.
2: Yeah, definitely, and and well, and for us, it's just about overhead, right? So the reason, one of the big reasons why we like to stay small is, a, it's really just simple. The business is very simple. We can make decisions super fast because we're two people. Mm-hmm. But and yeah. there's no overhead. Like we both like working from our home office, so we can make take risks with maybe a product that's really small and niche because we don't have to sell thirty thousand of them for it to be worth it for us to develop, right? Yeah. So. So so we love that freedom of being able to kind of move around and try different stuff and so one of our fears with kind of growing in a employee type of way is there's going to be more constraints on needing revenue and so we we just have to make different decisions possibly right about what we do or take you know, like take less risks. So that's kind of where the, the the inflection point
1: is. Yeah, yeah, I get cuz cuz if you cause right now as a two-person company you can um you can keep making things without worrying that, like, this has got to cover Janice's uh, paycheck. I just invented Janice. I, I'm not saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: We have no Janice. <laughs> but, yeah, no. Uh, that, that is, yeah, that is exactly right. Uh, we just, we, you know, we, that fear is not there. So it's it's, it's good.
1: <laughs> and a guy at the co-working office found these for me, and I ordered two right away. And what it is is it's a 3D printed um, kind of clasp oh. that mm-hmm. sticks like it it has adhesive on the bottom, and I, I didn't even cut the ties um, it I just it, it just wraps up and then it keeps your frayed cord from mm-hmm. fraying more and this is uh, I love this idea that this guy's just 3d printing these and shipping them out and you guys have started doing this now too with the stand and did mm-hmm. you do another one that was
0: yeah there's I mean something pretty similar to that that was like a little uh Clip for the Apple Watch charger, mm. um, where it's basically if you wanted to more securely fasten the clip, because it's only a magnetic connection, so and it's a pretty weak magnetic connection. So, if you wanted to connect it, if you're, for example, like throwing it in your bag and charging your watch with an external battery pack or something, it's just a three D printed piece of plastic that allows it to kind of clip onto the watch in a more secure way than just the magnet.
1: So is that the future for you guys? Are you going to try to do more stuff in-house?
0: I mean, possibly. Yeah, maybe, but like, I mean that, that was just like a fun little thing. It's like, Hey, this is a blog post. That's like about as seriously as we took it. Um, And I,
2: and I think the main reason for that is there's still a huge gulf in the materiality of 3d printed stuff. So, you know, it's it's rare that you can develop a product that the 3D printing is like the right process for it, but that's really going to change really quick. And so, you know, like shapeways.com is a website where, that's all it is, it's like a basically e-commerce store where designers put up their designs and then someone comes and buys it and all, just shapeways just like prints it, sends it to them and then gives a cut to the designer. And so... Yeah. Soon as the materials get a little bit better for 3D printing and the process gets a little bit cheaper, it's gonna be huge, 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 like, shift in the way that especially little simple objects are made because you'll just have a 3D printer at home and you'll just, like, buy it or it will be free probably a lot of the time. Yeah. Just the design. And you'll just come in and you just buy that and it's no problem. And so uh, that's coming. And, you know, I think about that sometimes, like, ooh, what, what's that gonna mean? But um, I think there's still always going to be a huge difference between just like materiality and things. But definitely, but like for up and coming young designers, like if I was in like starting high school right now and I wanted to be a product designer, yeah. like in 10 years, this is going to be the reality of like what I'm talking about. And it's going to be, I would just be starting to sell stuff, print stuff like now, you know? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a huge change.
1: And I wonder if there will be more uh, like centralized I mean, right now everything is in China and they've got the advantage of that whole supply chain thing there. But if there is, uh, you know, if there's a place, where does everyone ship out of like whatever it is, Illinois or I don't know where people sh- ship centrally.
2: Dakota a lot of the time. <laughs>
1: okay. So like if they, you know, if there's like a place there that's that has just like CNC machines on tap and you you can order stuff and have it like just go through their process, they build it and ship it from there, like Shapeways, I guess. But- The designer is, you know, in Canada. That stuff gets me really excited because for me, all the pain with physical stuff is the is actually um, the uh, warehousing of it and the shipping of it. So if you could have it like in built on demand and shipped from somewhere, that seems amazing. One thing I think I mean, we just touched on this a little bit is like, what would you recommend to
0: somebody who's getting started? You can read our book, I guess. Uh, (laughs) to start. What's Uh, the book called? It's called It Will Be Exhilarating. And you, and,
1: and you take them through the process of kickstarting, stuff like that?
0: More or less, yeah. It's basically, we wrote it, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago when we had uh, like two or three products uh, in the marketplace. And yeah, it was basically just like, you know, showing our work, showing what we did to uh, to do what we did. So, you know, there's some stuff about Kickstarter in there, there's stuff about... Uh, all the kind of prototyping and design and manufacturing of physical goods and shipping them and, and all that. And then there's like a little bit of marketing type stuff in there. So I mean, it's a, it's a little bit, it's like slightly outdated in terms of just like where we're at as a company, but I think most of it is still relevant. And that would be, that's kind of why we wrote it is for exactly what you're describing as someone who's like wanting to be inspired or get started doing these type of things.
1: Yeah. Is there like one, is there a scope of project or a kind of project that you think is good for people to start with?
2: You know, um, what I always, uh, whenever I talk to people who are starting out, um, one thing that I really, I think people should try is, um, maybe not the like handmade Etsy thing, uh, where you're doing everything yourself. It's very manual you're doing everything yourself because uh, you're not really learning all the stuff that will take you to like this being a business because uh, this whole world of like working with the manufacturer to have parts made or like outsourcing or like warehousing, all those things are the actual problems and so I think it's actually not that hard to, to dip your toe into that in a simple way, but I think it's really important to do that because then it, becomes, it doesn't become this big scary monster. Because really, it's not hard, it just seems scary. And people always ask me like, how do you guys find like a how to do sewing? This is how it works. I look good. Look on Google for like injection molding plastic, and I call up the company and I'm like, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Like, how does it work? Where are the constraints? And they'll just like tell you a lot of the time. So, yeah. It's not that big, scary thing, but I think it's really important to start interfacing with uh, manufacturing or like a, the external like machine of uh, kind of industry some just so it doesn't become like a big, scary thing.
1: And when you call China.
2: We don't call China. Don't, I mean, so that's the thing we don't. Call, and, and, and for a lot of our history, we had nothing made in China. Okay. A lot of it was made in the U.S. So you're, yeah. you're just calling uh,
1: U.S. manufacturers.
2: Exactly, yeah, and, and 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 the real reason we're doing that is because we need that knowledge, right? So when we started up the glyph, we, our manufacturing was in South Dakota. Uh, the, they understood where we were coming from, and the engineer really helped us out, like, understand the process. And so that's really great, and the, people will do that. And, and so that's why it's, you know, that's what's really nice about kind of local or, like, you know, Domestic manufacturing is you can like talk to the people really easily, and so that's a that's a huge advantage if you're starting out. Yeah, it costs more, but it, it's totally worth it.
1: Oh, that's interesting because I I just assumed you were making things uh, overseas, but you haven't you haven't made as much overseas.
2: Yeah, only a couple of things. Uh, just only re- last year and a half probably, and it's a pain. It's a total pain. Still, it's a real pain.
1: Even with your even though you understand some of the manufacturing process like what is it if you you call a factory in china and like when you've done that is it is there someone that speaks english there like how does it work
2: Uh, it's email almost always or uh really skype yeah Uh, almost always everything's done via skype um we for recently been working with kind of a middleman like a company in china he's actually a canadian guy okay and, (laughs) and he has a company in china and we talk to him and then he finds the factories and works with them and so that can work out really well but in some of the time we've worked directly with a manufacturer in China and, it's you know, it's hard. The communication is super hard and the expectations of quality and design are completely different just culturally and so the communication is just really rough. Um, and so that that is, I would not recommend that at all for anyone starting out. Definitely the localer the better because you could learn from the people making your thing because they're the people who know the most about what you're doing.
1: Oh, that's interesting. That's that's probably a good place to end it. Let's uh, let's peep your st- peep your stuff. Let's pimp your stuff a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's, uh, what's studio neat working on next, and where can people find out about it?
0: Uh, well, we're, we're working on a couple things. We're actually really excited about uh, that. We won't reveal just yet, but they are. We're hoping to you know uh, unveil Men's and underwear. launch them. Yeah. <laughs> under- yeah <laughs> uh, within the next couple months. So that's we're excited about that. So yeah, I mean Studio and and uh, at Studio Need on Twitter is a good place to follow us. And then we also have a Gazette, which is just a weekly newsletter. If you go to I think it's just studio slash Gazette should it work. Is. Uh, And you can sign up for that and that, you know, it's really simple. Every Friday we just send a super short email, just a couple things Tom and I are kind of interested in that week and then a very brief update of kind of what we're working on. So if you want to follow us in a really kind of simple but direct way, that's, that's a good thing to look at too. Sweet.
1: I've also been really liking your Vimeo channel. Uh, If you search Studio Neat on Vimeo There's like some cool stuff there I just like watching some stuff get made And uh, even if it's like uh, You know you've got some pretty slick videos on there But you also have some real raw just like gritty Like here's how we did it And Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's good too Beauty Well thanks guys Thanks for your time We'll talk
2: again soon Yeah thanks man See ya
1: All right, that's it thanks again to tom and dan for doing the show studio neat.com. please if you are a product person looking to launch a new product and just launching scares the hell out of you you don't want to launch to crickets go and check out marketing for product people justinjackson.ca slash marketing for product people also i forgot to tell you guys i have a brand new show called mega maker it's 10 minutes long two episodes a week and it's getting to the top of the itunes charts right now i would love for you to go and check it out megamaker.co and if you could leave a review and help me get into the top of new and noteworthy that would even be better megamaker.co slash review thank you for all you longtime listeners i really appreciate you um yeah just enjoying the shows and telling people about them all right i will talk to you soon If you have any questions, get me on Twitter, the letter M, the letter I, Justin. That's M.I. Justin.